Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you this morning, you can find your way to Acts chapter 6. Acts, the sixth chapter. And this is the third of a series of three teachings. Uh, I've called it Ecclesiology 101. We've talked about the church member. We've talked about the church elder. Today we come to the church deacon. It's a simple teaching on ecclesiology. That's a big word. It simply means the study and nature of the church, the structure, the, the job of the church. Specifically, ecclesiology is the study of what the Bible has to say about the church. Man has imposed many views, and part of the motivation behind this uh, series has been simply that we would... Uh, clear the cobwebs of man's views on what the church is and should be, and that we would tune our hearts and our minds to what God's word says uh, the church is and what it should be, specifically uh, how it operates, its members, its leaders, its workers, its mission, its purpose. The specific purpose of this uh, teaching has been to instruct us as a church about the biblical role of deacons, an office Uh, that we find needing to be filled among us, Lord willing, as soon as possible. Uh, This is, for me, I've said over the weeks, a bit more of a lecture to me than a sermon, but as God's word is opened and as God's word is unpacked, as the truth of God's word is declared, the speaker finds himself preaching because that is preaching, opening and unlocking the truth of God's words that the people of God may know him better, walk more closely with him, and love one another in this life. We are learning, in light of 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, Paul uh, writes specifically about elders and deacons, and he says, I'm writing to you, Timothy, so that you may know how one ought to act in the household of God. And so understanding the church member, understanding the church elder or pastor, understanding the church deacon helps us to see the structure that God has designed for his church and for his people to live their life together. Uh, I have a goal in this sermon series, and that is that uh, along with the previous two messages, that we would gain a more robust view, a more full spectrum view and look uh, at the design and the beauty of the design that God has for his people within the local church, it is my prayer that we would appreciate the design more and that we would desire to follow it more closely, uh, which I pray will lead us to becoming a stronger and healthier church uh, where church members understand their meaning, where elders shepherd as God would have them shepherd according to God's word, and where deacons thrive in their service, bringing a greater glory to God and reaching, I pray, our community in a greater way. All too often, specifically on deacons, all too often the office is either improperly filled, poorly executed, or a source of trouble in the life of the church. I gave the illustration a couple of weeks ago. I was listening to a pastor's conference, and the pastor said, this week when you go back and you have your meeting with your demons, I mean deacons, and the whole room laughed, and it shouldn't be funny. Like, we snicker because, oh, what a play on words. But that shouldn't be funny. Like, the, the deacon should never be viewed as that. And I know in my own experience uh, and in the experience of many others, we have those, 
men who I believe meant well in our past. Most of the time it comes from our childhood, which let's recognize and remember that in childhood and developing years, we don't have a great sense of reasoning in our brains. So when we look back on someone who maybe was heavy-handed or grouchy or crotchety or you name it, maybe they were, or maybe you needed to grow and mature. Both of those things could have been at play. I know they have been in my life at various points in time. It is not what God intends that there would be an office in the church that no one likes to hear brought up. Who the deacons? Who? Reminds me of the time when. Reminds me when I was a kid when. Like, and, then, and then outroll the negative stories. Yeah, well, I, I got a story about a deacon. Well, I got a story about a deacon. This is not what God has intended. This is an office in the church given by God for the growth and good of the local body. By God's design, the office of deacon is beautiful. And the work of deacon is necessary. And I pray, though we may snicker about some of the jokes regarding deacons from years past, I pray that you have all also had an encounter with a godly man serving in godly ways, you, the church. And as we learn about the deacon, we will understand this is precisely what they are called to do. Having taken a brief look at the church member and the church elder, with a basic overview of the biblical organization that deacons belong to and how they fit into it, we are ready to now begin examining the church deacon more closely. I have these two thoughts. I expected to talk about the church deacon over one week, and I'm going to do it over two. And there's a reason I want this to be understood. Today I'm going to talk about what a deacon is and what a deacon does. Next week we're going to take a more microscopic, if you will, look at the qualifications of a deacon. And this is why. Because throughout the church house, it is the responsibility of the membership of the church to put forward men to serve as deacons. So it is very incumbent upon us to pay and examine very closely the qualifications of a deacon. So I didn't feel I could do that justice today. I thought I would have to probably rush and talk too fast and lose too many people, and that wouldn't be effective. And so this week we'll talk about what is a deacon and what do they do, and next week we will talk about who can be a deacon. What kind of person are we looking for to be a deacon in God's church? Also of note, the Bible says a lot about Christian service. From front to back, you can read about Christians serving Christians all over. And every time we're reading about Christians serving Christians, we are reading examples of what deacons are to be exemplary servants among God's people. However, the Greek word for deacon, it's where we get our modern day word for deacon, the word diakonos, is found all throughout the New Testament. Anytime you see the word serve, you'll find this Greek word where we get our word deacon. But the Bible does not talk specifically about deacons as much as we might think. As much as it talks about the responsibility of the Christian all of us, and as much as it talks about the responsibility of an elder or a shepherd or an overseer, the Bible is fairly quiet on the topic of deacons. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 is the best illustration, the best example of deacons in the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 3, 8 through 13 is the only specific list of qualifications for a deacon. And Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 is the only specific reference to deacons in the church. That's it. Three places in the New Testament that we can point to to try and understand this office. So as I prepare and as I study, it becomes much more obvious, and I hope it's more clear to you, 
When the Bible is not specific, this is where man steps in and what happens. I know what happens in my own life when I step in and try to take things under my own charge. However, the Bible is not silent. It does speak, and we should pay attention to what it does say. And I believe that what it does say is enough for us to go off of to honor God's biblical design for the church deacon. And so, what is a deacon? You're all like, well, read Acts chapter 6, Pastor. We'll get there in just a moment. What is a deacon? A church member, you'll recall, is one who, uh, by grace through faith, has been saved from their sin, regenerated, made new. They are a Christian. When you are made a Christian, you become a member of God's church, and then locally, in the local context of Christians, when Christians begin banding together, you have a church, and Christians join that church locally, specifically. A church elder is one who is set apart by God, the Holy Spirit, for the teaching and care and oversight of the church. The church deacon is one set apart by the church for the specific purpose of serving the tangible needs of the church. Again, the church deacon is one set apart by the church for the specific purpose of serving the tangible needs of the church. Several weeks ago, as we concluded the One Another series, we talked about the call biblically, the command biblically, for the Christian to serve one another. Examining in 1 Peter chapter 4, where Peter says, As each of you has received a gift, let him use it to serve one another, each one. Every member, every part of the body of Christ being gifted, given a gift from God in some unique way to serve the body, to serve other Christians. The logical response to this, if all Christians are to serve all Christians, the logical response is, then what do we need deacons for? Well, it's important for us to understand first that The call for Christians to serve Christians is broad and specific, broadly. When we as a church give in any form, whether it is labor or finance, to the work of the gospel outside of ourselves, we are being deacons to that ministry to which we are giving. When, uh, in a few weeks, a crew from Village Bible goes and helps with the cleanup at Camp Barakel, we will be deacons to them as we serve the needs that they have. When we gather together, we share the Lord's Supper and those who pass the bread and pass the cup, they are being deacons to us, the church. When we share meals and take meals to people who have major uh, surgeries or a baby born or anything like that, and we care, we are being deacons to one another. That is a broad look at what it means for the Christian to serve other Christians. But the Bible also says that there are specific times for specific servants, deacons, to serve a group of people, or perhaps individuals from within that group of people, the church. So the logical response, why do we need deacons? Let's examine. We're going to use Acts 6 as our guide. Why do churches need deacons? Let's understand it. When God saves a dead-in-sin soul to new life, When God raises a dead-in-sin soul to new life by grace through faith in Jesus and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, he makes that person a Christian. That's the work of God. God makes Christians. When God makes Christians, 
they become a member of his household, the church. It's one of my favorite notes to put when I write my notes out. I put the word gospel with asterisks and exclamation points on either side of it. And as I say, when God makes one a Christian, he makes them a member of a household. I can't continue in our discussion on deacons without saying, are you a member of God's house? Are you a Christian? Have you received the grace of God in your life through faith in Jesus Christ? Are you living a life of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus? Are you living in obedience to God's word? Have you seen your sin in the light of God's holiness? Are you repenting of that sin and seeking to be conformed to the image of God's beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ? You must answer that question. Are you saved? The response, I'm not sure. I don't know. No, I'm not. The response calls for the greatest call that scripture could give. Today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart. The Bible is clear. Respond to the work of God in your life. See the holiness of God, the wages of sin, that you are wrapped up with sin. We are all sinners and that Christ is the only sacrifice, the only appeasement of God's wrath on sin. If you are not saved, I urge you today. Like, Pastor, you do this every week. You bet I do. Because I don't know your hearts, and we've got young people in this room. Repent of sin and be saved. Believe the gospel. I would love to talk more with you about that. If you have questions, please find me afterwards. Find Pastor Collins. Find some trusted adult. I have questions about salvation, about faith in Jesus. This is the most important question that any person can wrestle down through all of their life. There's nothing greater to talk about. When God saves a dead and sin soul to new life, he makes them a Christian and adds them to his house, the household of God. And when God saves Christians, Christians then begin banding together. Like, why are we here? What are we doing here this morning? We are Christians who have agreed to come together as Christians in this local. We didn't drive a half an hour, an hour. We didn't have to walk for 10 miles. We drove here agreeing that here is where we will gather as Christians to worship God, to bring him glory, to remind ourselves of the gospel in our own life, to proclaim the gospel to the lost around us, and to be what Jesus says is the light in the world. Christians banding together become local churches. When churches form, they need leaders. So the Holy Spirit takes men from among them and makes them pastors or shepherds to care for, to guide, to teach. Wherever this work of God happens, you can be sure needs and problems are going to arise. And this is precisely why God gave deacons to the church. Look at Acts chapter 6 with me. Let's read this passage. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose among the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and and of the Holy Spirit, 
and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and I'm butchering these names, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, verse 6. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, verse 7. And the word of the Lord continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. God, thank you for the guide that it is to us. Thank you, Father, for not leaving us to figure things out on our own. And forgive us, Father, when we attempt to figure things out on our own. Help us by your word. I pray, Father, today that as your word is taught and proclaimed here and in a great many places around the world, Father, I pray that you would draw the sinner to repentance and salvation. Humble them, Father. I pray that the holiness of your people would be promoted, that we would be holy as you, our God, are holy. And I pray, Father, that Christ the Savior, the perfect pastor, the perfect deacon, the perfect church member, I pray, God, that Christ the Savior would be exalted. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 6 says, In these days, in these days, I had a whole bunch of words, probably about five or six hundred of them, to describe what is wrapped up in, in these days. Here's your homework, which you should always get when the, when the word of God is open. Here's your homework. Read Acts chapter 1 through 6 this week so that you can come to the understanding of what in these days means. In these days. Briefly, referring to the period of time after the death burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, his ascension into heaven in these days. Good grief, one through five and acts are just loaded. In these days, note the next statement, in these days when the number of disciples, this is a time when the church was experiencing exponential growth. Churches today, maybe not throughout the course of history, but especially today and especially in our country, churches are trying to figure out how can we grow? What can we do? You can go to conference and convention one after another, and there will be intelligent people who study growth models, who study what to do, how to do. Listen, this is how churches grow. God does a work. There is no conference or convention you can go to that makes God do a work. There's no formula that you can follow. There's no pattern. There's no blog, article, writer. There's no podcast. God does a work. And when God does a work, churches experience growth. Look at when the number of disciples was increasing of note by Acts chapter 6 verse 1, the number of disciples had gone from 12 in the upper room with Jesus to 120 in Acts chapter 1 to well north by Acts chapter 6, well north of 5,000 people. We're not talking about like the doubling of two churches. They went from 120 people to at least 3,000 in the end of Acts chapter 2 and coming to Acts chapter 4, 5,000 men. The church was experiencing exponential growth in the wake of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. And coincidentally, I think not, the proclamation of those facts. Why was the church growing? Because the disciples were doing what Jesus told them to do. You will be my witnesses. Why don't churches grow? I have a hunch. It's because Christians are not witnesses. Ouch. 
In these days when the number of disciples was increasing, look, look, a complaint arose. What's the complaint? The Hellenist widows, that is Greek-speaking Jewish widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution we find later of food. It says down serving tables in the end of verse 2. It's not good for us to serve tables. They're missing out on their food. The Hellenist widows, the Greek-speaking Jewish widows, were not receiving their food. Now, I want to be careful here. I have long imposed my own flawed thinking on this passage. Why? Greek-speaking Jews. Well, then it stands to reason that the the pure-blood Jews had problems with the Greek-speaking Jews. That may be true, but the Bible never tells us that, not once ever. And we must be very careful to not impose our flawed thinking and assume that the reason the Hellenists weren't receiving their daily distribution and the Hebrew widows were is because of some prejudice that existed within the church. What we can understand is that if the church went from 12 to 120 to more than 5,000 by this point, yeah, somebody's going to get missed. Somebody's going to get missed. And they were. Now, I don't want to marginalize it. It's a problem. A complaint arose. What was the complaint? There were widows who were hungry. We're not getting our food. They're getting theirs, but we're not getting ours. By the time we get there, they've given too much. Who knows what the reasons were? The Hellenist widows were not getting their food, and the Hebrew widows were getting their food, and a complaint arose. It bubbled up to the top. I think we should all understand that complaints in the church never stay where they are. They always manifest. They always rise. They always surface. Why? Not because of excellent leadership, but because God is doing everything through the work of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ to draw his people together in unity. And as God is doing a work to unify his people, the problems between us are going to manifest. They're going to arise. Things are going to come up. We can see easily in verse 2, the disciples. Look what it says, and the 12. That's like minus one, they were in the upper room with Jesus. Why minus one? Well, because Acts chapter 1 tells us about what happened to Judas, and he was replaced. In these days, the number of disciples were increasing, and then a complaint arose. Verse 2, and the 12, the disciples, charged by God, named apostles by Christ, these are the elders of this early church. In Acts chapter 6, that first century church, like it's, Christ has been gone for like maybe 100 days at this point. We don't know. He was just on the cross. These events are happening in the shadow of Christ dying on the cross. And a complaint arose, and the twelve, the pastors, the elders of this early church, we examined last week, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, calls himself an elder. Peter was a shepherd to these people, along with, I don't want us to miss this, the twelve. Notice, I talked last week about elders in the church. Churches should have pastors, not one pastor singular. Sometimes that happens. It should be the goal of every church to have a plurality of pastors, and look what happens here in this early church. A complaint arose, and the 12. There's a plurality of elders right here in Acts chapter 6, and as much as I've studied it and as much as I've talked about it, I didn't see it until studying for it this week. And the 12. It doesn't say that Peter rose up. That's said earlier. If you would have asked me about this prior to Thursday, I would have said, oh yeah, in Acts 6, where Peter stands up and says, we need to figure out this problem here. It doesn't say that Peter did that. 
It says the 12 did that. A complaint arose, the 12 got together, and they stood up, and look what it says, they summoned together the full number of disciples. Look at that, would you look? A plurality of elders and church members. How beautiful. They called the whole number of them together. The plurality of elders saw an issue in the church, and they called a church meeting to address it. How many of you are like, I don't want to go to a church meeting where there's a problem in the church? That's how it started. There's a problem. Let's fix it. Let's get it taken care of. And so, what was the problem they had to address? Well, the Hellenist widows need their food. No. Not the widows need their food. Yes, true. The widows do need their food. But that's not the problem that the elders called everyone together to address. Look at it. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It is not right that we should give up the main thing to do this good thing. The widows do need their food. But the pastors must be able to minister in prayer and the word, not be consumed by all that there is to do. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 2. It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. The plurality of the elders said to the church members, it's wrong for us to continue doing this good thing while neglecting the necessary thing. I made this note because some people are like, wow, it was just such a heavy emphasis on the teaching and on the preaching. This verse is a bedrock verse to support the primacy of what is happening right here among us right now. There is no singular thing that the people of God can do that is more important than declaring the word of God. That is the prime directive. Well, it's important to sing. It is important to sing. It's important to teach, it's important to teach children. It's important to have youth groups. It's important to have outreach in the community. It's important to do all of those things. It's important to make sure that widows receive their food. But nothing can be more important to the people of God than the primacy of preaching and proclaiming the word of God. If you are looking for a humanitarian church, you can find one. The reason that Bible is in the name is because churches should be about God's word first and foremost and then everything else. And there's an order that we go about doing that. The community needs to be reached. Men and women need to be taught. Widows need their food. But the preaching of God's word cannot be given up. Now notice what they say. They do not say, this isn't right, we're done doing it. Widows, we gave it our best shot. But we just can't give you food anymore, I'm sorry. Come Sunday and hear a sermon. That's not helpful. It's not good. And the 12 recognize it. They say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, I love it. They come together. We have a problem. What's the solution? Let's get some servants in the church to serve the people of the church in this problem. Let's solve this problem by the church going to work. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you Seven men of good repute, full of wisdom and of 
full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We're going to revisit verse 3 next week as we consider the qualifications because though 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13 is the specific list, Acts chapter 6, verse 3 has got qualifications in it that we cannot miss. So we'll be back to that verse next week. What do deacons, what, 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 what is a deacon? What is a deacon? Juan Sanchez, pastor in Austin, Texas, and author of the Nine Marks booklet, What Do Deacons Do?, says, and I love it, Deacons protect and prioritize the preaching and teaching ministry of the church, and they preserve and promote the unity of the church. I love that. They protect and prioritize the preaching and teaching ministry of the church. Listen, the widows need food, but the 12 need to preach and teach and continue on in their devotion to the teachings of Jesus Christ. That is how we will learn and how we will grow in our walk with Jesus. The deacons get in between everything there is to weigh down a pastor. Every complaint that comes up, every challenge that arises, everything that needs to be taken care of, a deacon is a buffer that steps in between and says, no, we will take care of this need the body has. You keep preaching, keep studying, keep knowing the word of God in your own life and keep bringing it to bear on the people that gather while we serve this need. They preserve and promote, they prioritize and protect the preaching and teaching of the word so that a pastor doesn't have to go to a grocery store to feed a widow. However, I hope that your pastor always goes to the grocery store when he's able, if he needs to. All too often in churches today, we will remove Christian ministry because of an office. I am a pastor, and I am a Christian, and my responsibility to serve Christians is no less. I serve mainly in a distinct way, through preaching and teaching. But if there's a need and no one can do it, I'm going to the grocery store and I'm getting the widow or food. They protect and prioritize the preaching and teaching ministry of the church and they preserve and promote the unity of the church by seeing to the needs and resolving the complaints that arise. When God puts people together, problems and complaints are going to arise. Churches need deacons because as sinners are saved and struggle to come away from the life they were saved from and be refined and made pure in the image of Jesus Christ, problems are going to arise. Yes, they need to be resolved. Yes, needs need to be met, but the preaching and teaching ministry of the church must not be compromised. And where there are no deacons, the preaching and teaching ministry of the church is in great danger. Why? Well, there's a lot of people in this room, every single one of us, self-included, with needs or complaints, and those need to be met and resolved, every one of us, to the best of our ability. If you wait for me to get through every complaint and problem and need in my own life before I can help you, whew, I think we'll be in eternity before that gets taken care of, Right? Needs, complaints, they have to be taken care of, so there are deacons. When the twelve and these seven began co-laboring together in Jerusalem, look what Acts 6, 7 says. They begin working together. They put forward these seven men. The disciples lay their hands on them and pray. Look at verse 7 when this starts happening. Pastors teaching and preaching, deacons serving and meeting the needs. In verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, 
and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I wonder in how many churches the teaching of God's word is watered down and flat because the pastor is doing absolutely everything there is to be done. Like, I push these things off often. If it's going to be a major thing where someone's hurt, someone needs something right now, we're going to make moves and get that person helped. Even in the absence of deacons, you're going to be taken care of. But there are things that pull at me all the time, and if I begin giving to one, I'll give to a second, I'll give to a third, I'll give to a fourth, and I'll come to Sunday morning to write a sermon and show up and say, well, I'm glad you're here, open your Bibles while I sing Jesus Loves Us because that's all I've got. How many churches do we talk about? There are people in this room, numerous people in this room right now have said, Pastor, we've been in churches. There is no teaching from the Bible. There is no biblical instruction. I don't remember the last time the pastor opened the Bible and gave any type of sermon whatsoever. And I just wonder, I'm always looking in judgment, shame on me. I just wonder, how overloaded is the man? How much help does the man need to return to the directive God has given for pastors to preach and to teach? The 12 began co-laboring, the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples, I wonder, like I'm, I'm going to impose very carefully, I wonder how long it took him to go from 7 to 14, to 21, to 65, like how quickly we need more deacons. There's a whole lot of needs here. There's more than 5,000 people. We can't meet all the needs. Everybody needs to be serving and doing, get more deacons in here to help serve the needs of the church. As they did, God's word continued to increase. A deacon is one set apart by the church for the specific purpose of serving the tangible needs of the church, protecting and prioritizing the ministry, preserving unity, promoting unity among the church. This is what deacons do. We'll talk. It's what a deacon is and part of what they do. And I had a note that I erased actually because I started realizing that what a deacon is and what a deacon do are so similar. The line blurs so easily. I can't talk about what they do without talking about what they are. They're synonymous with one another. Let's talk about this for a minute. What aren't deacons? What aren't deacons? This has been a mess in churches throughout time. We see this, I think, probably more specifically in our recent time, the last hundred years maybe, but even the influence of the Roman Catholic Church coming out of the Middle Ages, deacons have been messed up. And even in Christian churches, we see deacons and elders misaligned and they're not operating as we see biblically. Why? Well, because man starts to impose himself on the text. Instead of just saying, look at, look at, in Acts 6, the 12 were preaching and teaching, but the widows needed their food. The 12 apparently were able to handle getting them their food for a while, but then all of a sudden the 12 weren't able to do it, so they got men who could do that. We've got a van in the garage that needs to have a new transmission put into it. And I know nothing about that, so let's just let it sit because I know nothing about that. No, 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 let's mobilize men in the church to get it taken care of. Like, that's literally what they did. Let's mobilize those in the church that are able to, that meet the qualifications to now serve those needs that exist in the church. Beautiful. What aren't deacons? Deacons are not on a track to becoming a pastor. Now, this is a little bit twisty. Follow me. It may be that a deacon becomes a pastor. Praise God. If the Holy Spirit sets apart a man who's been serving as a deacon and says, this is a pastor among you, move them from being a deacon to being a pastor, praise God for that. But in many circles, in many practices, in many Christian churches, you're only a deacon for one reason, so that you can become a pastor. You must first be a deacon, 
and then you can be a pastor. We don't see that anywhere in the scripture. We see examples of those who are pastors and elders serving, beautiful. We see them who are diakonos, that Greek word, they are serving, but nowhere do we see anywhere that first you must be a deacon in order to be a pastor, and this is simply the path that some have chosen to go down, and I believe that it's a model from the Catholic Church way back in the 1500s that unfortunately the Christian Church just couldn't do a good enough job of saying, uh-uh, what a wreck, that's a disaster. The Bible doesn't say that. Deacons serve the church, pastors lead the church, and the church operates together in unity, amen. Maybe some deacons will become pastors, praise the Lord. I do, I will concede that in Acts, I see a glimpse of this. And everybody got a little nervous. Pastor, what are you about to say? I'm about to say that in Acts chapter 7, Stephen goes on to perform great miracles and preaches one of the most fantastic sermons of the entire Bible. God gifted him to teach, to preach. He did that. And then he was stoned to death. I see that in Acts chapter 8, another one of those seven men, Philip, goes on to become an evangelist. And in Samaria, he proclaims and preaches God's word. He's like an evangelist missionary. He proclaims God's word, Christ's word. People get saved, and he preaches to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's hauled away to who knows where by the Spirit of the Lord. Read it for yourself, Acts 8. So apparently, God can take those who are set aside as exemplary servants by the church and say, good job, everyone. You recognize the servant of mine for a greater purpose. I'm pulling them over here. Praise the Lord if that happens. But you know what? The other five guys, I think all they ever did was serve the tables, and we never hear about them ever again. And you know what? That's awesome. They were set aside by the church to care for the church in a specific way, and they did that. So a deacon may be used by God to do something greater, or the deacon may simply do the job, the task that's assigned to them and serve faithfully and honor the Lord and help the church. Praise the Lord. Deacons are not simply on a fast track to become a pastor. Deacons are not a governing body in the church. Nowhere in the Bible is oversight of the church given to deacons. Now this again has a little bit of a line we've got to understand. If you're a deacon, you have a level of oversight in what you're assigned to. Like in here at Village Bible, praise the Lord when the time comes that we see deacons serving. Myself and fellow elders, I, I pray for more of them, Pastor Collins and I are not just going to be like, well, deacon, here's your work. We're going to go stand over your shoulder now and make sure you get it done. No, you've been assigned to that. They say in Acts chapter 6, we will appoint them to this duty. You know what the 12 said? Hey, the the Greek-speaking Jewish widows aren't getting their food. Figure it out. we got to preach and teach. So there is a level of oversight that does come along with being a deacon, but it's not the oversight of the entire church. If you are a deacon, you have been assigned the responsibility to mobilize whoever and whatever is necessary to preserve and protect the preaching and teaching of the church, to promote the unity of the church. Biblically, church oversight is in the hand of the overseers, the elders, the pastors, the shepherds. Deacons are not a governing body in the church. However, this also must be understood. The joyful and willing cooperation of pastors and deacons is absolutely necessary. I ache for fellow pastors who are serving with deacons and the chasm is greater than I can reach between them. They're not serving the church at all at that point. In fact, I would be so bold in this to say they're promoting division and not unity because they don't know what they're doing. And I pray, oh Lord, as the elder body would grow here and as deacons would be established in this church, I pray that God would bring such unity to pastors and deacons that the church can see how beautiful it is as the body comes together and serves one another in the ways that they are assigned. Deacons are not on a track to becoming a pastor. Deacons are not a governing body in the church. And deacons are not teachers. 
That is, deacons are not required to teach. I made this note. It's important. Now you're like, well, you just said pastor. I did. There is a difference in the qualifications and responsibilities of a pastor, and there is a specific qualification of able to teach. Deacons are not required to teach. If a deacon can teach, look at Stephen. Look at Philip. As we will see when we examine the qualifications of a deacon next week, this is the one great difference between elders and deacons. Elders are assigned the oversight of the church, and the preaching and teaching ministry falls to them, and deacons serve. 1 Timothy 3.2, an elder must be able to teach. It does not translate down into eight, three, chapter 3, 8 through 13. But in Acts 6, as we already examined, Stephen, Philip, they go on to preach and teach. A deacon may teach, but it is not a requirement. So men in the church that are thinking, I don't wonder if I'll ever be a deacon. Well, you may be, but you can take a sigh of relief that you don't have to be a teacher if you're a deacon. Praise God if you are. Okay, what deacons are not, what do they do? <laughs> I wasn't sure how long to talk about this point. They do whatever is necessary to serve the body protect the unity, and preserve the preaching and teaching ministry of the church. You name it, that's what they're doing. Like the church member, like the church elder, the church deacon also has scriptural and sensible responsibilities. Unlike the church member, unlike the church elder, where respective responsibilities are more clearly outlined, the role of a deacon is simply to serve. What is the scriptural responsibility of a deacon? To serve. To serve what? The church. How? However necessary. That's literally the extent of the Bible teaching on deacons. There's qualifications, which we're going to look at, but the responsibility is to serve the church. Get the widows their food. Take meals. Recognize that, you know, I was talking to the widow Jones, and she needs a deck. I'm going to get men around and go do this. To oversee repairs on a van or repairs on a building, deacons have so many responsibilities, and all of them must, if they don't, we are wrong, must serve the church. Scripturally, deacons exist to serve the church. Now, I really want us to pay attention to this thought. Deacons serve the church under the under and alongside the oversight of the elders. I want to make very clear that we understand this. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere does the Bible envision or support the superiority of the elder and the inferiority of the deacon. Because even in our own context, how easy would it be? Oh, well, I mean, you're a pastor. They're just a deacon. Gross. Don't ever say those words. In fact, don't ever think those words. The Bible never envisions such a plan. Not once, not ever. Elders and deacons are two separate roles performed within one church alongside of one another. They're different roles. They're distinct roles, but they're not superior and inferior. In fact, I would argue the disciples in Acts chapter 6 gave the deacons of Acts chapter 6 a very big and prominent job. It just couldn't supersede the preaching and teaching of the word. We got women going hungry. Get it fixed and get it fixed now. They need their food. The Bible never envisions a superiority, nor does it promote a superiority or inferiority of the elder over the deacon. Now, we say that elders supervise, oversee the ministry of the church, that deacons work under and alongside the teaching and oversight ministry of the church. Look at the example in Acts chapter 6. It's still in front of you. 
Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of wisdom and full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. What did they say? You pick out the men, we'll appoint them to the responsibility. They're saying, we will say, as the 12, these men are responsible for doing this work among you. If you're a, if you're a Greek-speaking Jewish widow and you're not getting your food, go see one of these seven men. They're going to get you taken care of. Under under and alongside the oversight, even down in Acts chapter 6, these they set before the apostles. Why? The apostles knew what was going on. They knew the problem. They knew the men that were brought forward to serve. They have the oversight of the church, so they saw them installed, and the church went on to, to grow exponentially. Sensible responsibilities of a deacon. Let's think in our own context. Like, it's almost limitless. Let's remember, every Christian is to serve. If somebody's having a baby and needs a meal, sign up and take them a meal. If there's a problem that you see, hey, pastor, I think I could do that. You don't have to be a deacon to do a problem, to solve a problem that you think you can help. You don't have to be a deacon to do a job. Like, this is the next great problem that arises. Well, that's the deacon's job. That's, that's, the, that's the pastor's job. That's the deacon's job. I'm just the church member. Well, but I think you're misunderstanding your role as the church member because we're all called to serve. So don't just look at it and say, well, it's somebody else's job to take care of it. No, no, no. If you have the ability, each of you, as you've received a gift, use it to serve one another. So it's incumbent upon all of us to serve one another in the roles and the ways in which we can. Sensible responsibilities of the deacon. I, I wonder, can you imagine how many responsibilities they came up with with more than, than 5,000 people? Think about our own context. As I already said, there's a lot of people here. There's a lot of need. There's complaint. Those need to be met and resolved to the best of our ability. We have to work together to see needs met and complaints resolved. Let's think further. There's a building. It doesn't take care of itself. There's property that doesn't maintain itself. There are vehicles. Let's go further. There are budgets. There's outreach into the community. On and on and on we could go. And I love being involved in all of those things. But the Bible sees me as an overseer of those things, not the one doing them. The Bible envisions deacons doing those things so that the preaching and teaching ministry of the church is preserved and protected. Do you see how a deacon fits into the design that God has for his church? As you sit and perhaps think of your own need or your own complaint, do you glimpse the necessity of this office being filled and the beauty of what one author calls a cavalry of servants? I love that description. One pastor said, deacons in a church are a cavalry of servants, ready at a moment's notice to blow the bugle and charge in and take care of whatever business needs to be taken care of to protect the preaching and teaching ministry of the church. A deacon is one set apart by the church for the purpose of serving the tangible needs of the church. When the church puts forward men who meet the qualifications and do the work, those men get to work mobilizing and doing whatever is necessary to protect the word, ministry, and the unity of the church. Next week, we will consider further who can be a deacon and the qualifications. For now, as a church, I have this directive. Please, let us pray for the Lord's provision of those leader servants in our church. Would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the direction that it gives us. I thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit, because I am certainly powerless without your help. I pray, Father, for our church, 
beginning a new life together today as one church in this community with needs present, with problems to solve. God, I pray, would you help us to put forward men who can serve the church, who can meet the needs that are present, who can help resolve the problems and the complaints that arise. I pray, Father, that we would see men full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, able, God, to bring you greater glory as we follow more clearly your design for the church. You are good. We trust you and your time. We look to you for help and for wisdom. Father, I pray that the study of your word this morning will push us further to study and know and understand more of you and how we are to conduct ourselves in the household of God, your house, the church. Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.